Welcome to the Or Halev podcast with Rabbi James Jacobson Mazels. On this podcast, special guest speaker Yael Shai. Talking about forgiveness. <laughs> so it's at the heart of the Torah portion, and um, and I think that I think particularly, Sam mentioned this. We're we're in Joseph right now, and we're right about in the place of. Joseph's forgiveness of his brothers, and I'll run through the story very quickly. But I think it, something just jumped out at me from the middle of that story. And what it demonstrated to me is something that, to me at least, was not very obvious when I think about forgiveness, which is that real forgiveness is actually a deep, personal, internal gift that one gives to oneself. It almost has nothing to do with the person that hurts you. And I've been kind of rolling around with this idea in my head for a while, and so I'm going to kind of talk a little bit about that. And then the second reason I wanted to talk about it today is because I believe this practice is one of constant, constant forgiveness. A sort of like endless forgiving of the self and the world in order to be with the world as it is. There's kind of just an, um, an endless circle of forgiveness that has to happen. So I'm going to get back to that as well. So to get back into where we are in the Torah, um, we, we talked about that the brothers sell Joseph into slavery. And I want to just note here, you know, when we're talking quickly, yeah, brothers sell him into slavery, then he trades on, like we know the end of the story, he's, he's okay. But to really, to really let that sink in, your brothers sell you into slavery. It's the equivalent of death. They, they don't imagine that they're ever going to see him again. They have that much hatred that it's, it's like a kind of a murder. And, uh, and who knows what could have happened to him in slavery. Like, slavery isn't a good thing. And just that, that like wound, that deep trauma of what that must be to go from being the favored child to just like all of the sudden having your entire life stripped away from you. And um, there's some there's some midrash around. Well, people are asking the question. We don't get Joseph's words in that moment. We don't get any kind of like please don't or like stop. No cries whatsoever coming from Joseph. A lot of the midrashim say it's because that it's it's because the brothers couldn't hear their cry. He, they couldn't hear anything about him. They erased him. They just completely erased him and his experience, and and that had to go somewhere. You know that that question about where did it go? That went somewhere in his body. So it was a deep. We're talking deep trauma. So then we know that his fortunes change. Potiphar gets thrown in the dungeon. Then he gets, um, he rises to power and he becomes Pharaoh's kind of right hand. And the brothers come. There's a famine in the land. The brothers come from Canaan. They come to um, Egypt. And they don't recognize Joseph. Again, they did this kind of erasing of him. And so they, they have just absolutely no conception that he would be sitting there right in front of him. But he recognizes them. And so what does he do? He puts them, as we all remember, maybe some of us remember, and we're going to get a lot more into this 
over Shabbat, but he puts them through these series of trials um, to the, the common wisdom is to see whether or not they're going to do it again, to see whether or not they've changed, if they have remorse, if they're really sorry. And so um, all of these trials and tribulations, and they go, and he goes and makes them fetch Benjamin, and the whole time he keeps turning away and crying. There's a lot of turning away and crying. Some, some processing is happening within Joseph. Um, but he's keeping himself hidden from them. So they fetch his youngest brother, Benjamin, and Joseph um, frames Benjamin and says, Benjamin stole a cup, so now you guys can all go, but Benjamin's staying in prison. And this beautiful moment happens with Judah. So first of all, the brothers are protesting, and then Judah particularly comes forward, and that's the name of the Parsha, Vayigash. He comes forward, and he says, to, you know, this heartfelt, beautiful speech that really goes to the fact that he's feeling very remorseful, and, um, and, he, and he actually goes a step further and says, take my life, literally lock me up, and, and let Benjamin go free. So we see there's a real tshuva happening, a real change, and that's the moment that Joseph reveals himself. And we, we believe, although he doesn't use the words, he, he forgives them. He forgives the brothers, he forgives Joseph, Judah, Judah and the brothers for what they did to him. So, you know, so this, this paradigm is kind of a neat paradigm in some ways. Somebody does something bad, they change their ways and apologize, they, the person hears their remorse and they really change their ways, and so then the person grants forgiveness. It's kind of, I mean, it's hard, even in Joseph's position, even with an apology, I think it's a very hard thing to do to forgive someone selling you into slavery, even if the person changed. But it's, um, but it's, it's kind of, um, historic, it is story-wise, it's how we, we understand tshuva and forgiveness. Apology, you forgive. Somebody changes, you forgive. So I wanted to look for a minute at the actual etymology of the word forgiveness. <coughs> what it actually means or where it came from is an old English kind of conglomeration to, um, of the words geffen and fur. Geffen means to give up in English, in this old English, and fur means completely. So forgiven is to like give up completely. And then in Hebrew, there's a couple of actual, there's actually a couple of different words for forgiveness, but the ones that the brothers say towards the end of the Parsha is, he, the, the brothers say, please forgive now your brother's transgressions and the sin they did for, for the evil they did to you. Please forgive. Now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And the word they're using when they're saying, please forgive, please forgive, is sa, which comes from nasa, which is to bear, to carry, or to lift. So the other one is to give away completely in English. In Hebrew, we're, saying, we're hearing something about a carrying or a lifting. And it comes from the, the root nun sin aleph, which in other places means to take away, to sweep away. So the implication in both cases is that there's something heavy or dirty or problematic that sits on the aggrieved, the, the, 
well, it's interesting, where does it sit? But I think the implication is it sits on the party that did the harm, and the person who forgives sweeps that away, or they lift it up, they, they let, let it go. And most people, like I said, understand the Joseph story to be that, that, that to be the case. So Maimonides um, recognizes that even when there's an apology, even when the person changes, like I mentioned, it's very, very hard to forgive. The natural instincts our body has is to actually seek revenge or to somehow hurt the person back because the wound is still there. And Maimonides says, one should rather easily forgive and not easily grow angry. And when the offender requests forgiveness, he should forgive with a full heart and a generous spirit. Even if he caused him distress and committed many offenses against him, he shall not exact revenge or bear a grudge. This is the way of the Israelite people and their principled heart. And I like that last thing because I'm like a sucker for things that mention hearts. <laughs> and that kind of like, this is the way of the Israelite people. We are not a people that seek revenge. We are not a people that hold grudges, according to Maimonides. <laughs> <laughs> this is the, you know, really forgive way much easier than stay angry. Forgive. It's, it's better for, in some way because this is what, you know, this is a, for, for your heart. It's better. So what stands in this a beautiful idea, but what stands in the way? What stands in the way of our being able to forgive like that? That's that's so easily forgiveness. There's actually a story. So Maimonides does say in there, you know, when um, uh, when the person requests forgiveness. So there's not a clear there's no clear language of what if the person doesn't request forgiveness. But if they request forgiveness, you're supposed to so easily forgive. And there's a story that I read about um, this uh, very, uh, you know, very holy rabbi who, um, who would walk back and forth and back and forth in front of the house of a man that um, had committed a, a crime against him. And he was just waiting for the man to come outside and say something like, I'm sorry, so then he could say, you're forgiven. You know, like that fast. Like he's just like showing up every day. That's how badly he was ready to forgive, waiting to hear the apology. But that's not a, that's not my experience most of the time. And I, I think it's very it's much much harder when we bring it to our own life. Why? First, very often we don't get the apology. Um, Sometimes it's the person just doesn't believe they did anything wrong, and they're sticking by that. Sometimes um, the person is, has passed away, and we can't ask them anymore. They're not here. And sometimes the person that we're mad at is ourselves, or God, or the world. And, uh, and waiting for an apology from any of these sources is going to be very, uh, it's going to be a long wait. <laughs> and it's hard. It's that, you know, there, it doesn't, we don't get a lot of instructions around how to forgive in those cases. And then the second is when we do get the apology, this has happened in my life, I'm sure it's, it might have happened for some of you as well, 
sometimes even when we get the changed behavior, you know, somebody goes to um, AA or somebody goes to therapy or they just change and they come to you later and they say, I'm really sorry for what I did. You know, that was a really terrible thing I did back then. I'm really sorry. Sometimes it could be the case where it was so far back, it didn't really mean anything to you. You're like, oh, forgiven, swept away. But when it's really hurts, when it's something that really you still are living with the after effects today, even the apology and the changed behavior, mm, it, can, it can still be really difficult. <coughs> There's still, for me, still a resistance. I can say like, okay, I forgive you. But something, you know, something feels like I'm letting this person off the hook, like that's all they had to say was some words, and I still have a wound in me that hasn't gone away. And to let them off the hook feels um, too easy. Mark Nepo is a poet and a writer, and he lays this out beautifully in this essay he calls On Forgiveness. He writes, the pain was necessary to know the truth, but we don't have to keep the pain alive to keep the truth alive. This is what has kept me from forgiveness, the feeling that all that I've been through will evaporate if I don't relive it. That if those who hurt me don't see what they've done, my suffering will have been for nothing. What it really comes down to, he says, is the clearness of the heart to stop defining myself by those who have hurt me and to take up the risk to love myself, to validate my own experience, pain and all, from the center out. And I think there's some really deep wisdom in here. I've read it to myself many times. Keep thinking to the thinking that we need to keep the pain alive to keep the truth alive. I think that's, the, that's one of the central mistakes that I think sometimes happens around forgiveness. If we, if we forgive the person, then no, nobody will validate that that thing really happened to me. That, that person won't, I won't, some, the big world won't. It's really about this wound that it, I'm still living with. And so, and Mark Nepo's point is that, you know, that, that um, we need to kind of, we need to make that decision, that really brave decision to validate for ourselves. So for instance, the voice that comes up in my head when I think of, you know, some, uh, somebody that has hurt me in my life, um, the voice that immediately comes up when I, somebody tells me to forgive them, let's say it's like Rosh Hashanah or like Yom Kippur, and I'm like, okay, am I going to forgive the person? This is what it sounds like coming up inside my head. They're not really sorry, or they aren't sorry at all. They're living their lives so happy, and they don't care, and you're suffering, and they don't care. Or if you forgive this person, it's going to, you're going to erase what happened. It's like, you're really going to cut all ties with what really happened, which only you know, and, you know, only somebody will say what really happened. Nobody will affirm how much pain that I'm in if, that, if I forgive. It feels like if I don't hold my ground in anger, then I'm going to be doing some kind of damage to myself, again, on top of that original damage that was done to me. 
So it's like I, I need to stand up for my pain. But I think Mark Nepo's words are correct. I think the validation that I seek will not come from the people that hurt me. That's why it never works when they change or when they apologize. Because I'm not 100% sure that it's okay with me, that I'm that I'm not 100% sure I'm turning towards the thing that happened to me and saying this really happened. It's really painful. And I have to feel it. I have to be with it and feel it. And I think this idea that we have that forgiving is forgetting is also false. Because I think real forgiveness is actually the opposite of forgetting. It's actually returning to the source of the pain. And if we're ready to forgive, it means we're really ready to open up to that pain that happened and really say that it happened. It's real. It happened. Grieving its loss. And then this is where the exciting stuff comes in. Because reading the Torah, this is actually what I think happens in the Joseph story. I think the other way of understanding it, for me, doesn't feel like it's matching up with what Joseph actually says to his brothers. So we do get jo Judah's you know, um, change of behavior, and we get the remorse, and we have the tests that Joseph seems to be doing to his brothers. But if you look at Joseph's words, nowhere does he say, I forgive you because, of, because it looks like you're sorry. Or, I forgive you because you changed your ways, like, bravo, like, beautiful, I forgive you, like, nowhere, none of that seems to matter. These are, these are his words exactly, and I apologize, I don't have the Hebrew here, but you can look at them, you can look at it tomorrow. In English, then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me, that same, Vaigash, please come closer to me, and they drew closer. He said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not be sad, and let it not trouble you that you sold me here. For it was to preserve life that God sent me before you. It was to preserve life that God sent me before you. And then, just in case we didn't get it, and because the brothers don't get it, later they're scared after Jacob dies that that Joseph's forgiveness is fleeting, then he says, he says it again. He says, Joseph said to them, don't be afraid, for am I instead of God? Indeed, you intended evil against me, but God designed it for good in order to bring about what is at present, to keep a great populace alive nothing in there about their remorse. Nothing. Joseph is very clear that he's not forgetting what happened to him. In both cases, and I think it's interesting, it kind of like has that kind of like wince because he's not shying away from it. His first words, who you sold into slavery, you know, he's not forgetting what happened. And then in the second, in the second pasuk, he says, you intended evil against me. So again, not forgetting, being very clear that, that that was wrong. And he doesn't say it's all okay. 
He says it was, it, he places his trauma and his pain in a much larger picture. Then it, so it almost has nothing to do with the brothers. It doesn't matter whether the brothers were really repentant or not. He forgives them because he's bigger now than the whole story. He forgives them because, as the, he says, it was necessary for what is at present. So to come to the present moment, to bring himself there, everything that came before it had to happen. Was it right? No. Was it not painful? No. It was traumatic. But it was what it was. And, he, and so he arrives at that place of ultimate, big forgiveness. He seems to understand that forgiveness is a release into how things are. Just a release into how things are. James is fond of quoting, and I like it too, Lily Tomlin, who says, forgiveness is giving up all hope for a better past. <laughs> That's it, you know? It's painful, actually, to give up hope for a better past, but guess what? We're not going to get it. It's just not possible. Eva Kaur, um, is a was a Holocaust survivor featured in the documentary film Forgiving Dr. Mengele. Some of you may have seen it. Powerful, powerful movie. And she's written and spoken um, about this, the liberation that comes with forgiveness of unforgivable crimes. So Cora, along with her sister, endured brutal and inhumane uh, medical experiments at the hands of Nazi doctors in Auschwitz. In 1995, she gave a speech at the 50th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. And in her speech, she kind of gave this blanket statement saying, I forgive what the Nazis did to me. They killed the rest of her family. Horrible experiments on her. And she said, I forgive them. It's hard to believe. And she, uh, there's a lot of anger and feelings of kind of, well, I'll, I'll, I'll let you hear her words. She writes of the experience. As I did that, I felt a burden of pain was lifted from me. I was no longer in the grip of pain and hate. I was finally free. For most people, so she said here, and I, I didn't cut the quote, but she said here she got a lot of um, feedback from other survivors saying, you're a traitor, what are you doing? You know, a lot of hatred and um, anger at her for doing this. And she says, for most people, there's a big obstacle to forgiveness because society expects revenge. It seems we have this idea that in order to honor our victims, we need revenge. But I always wonder if my dead loved ones would want me to live with pain and anger until the rest of my life, till the end of my life. Just like, whew, really, um, really powerful. And again, goes back to this idea that forgiveness is not for the other person. It's to lift this burden, if we're lifting this burden, it's to lift the burden from ourselves. So then, there's another layer that happens. She goes on to explain that underneath this first level of forgiveness 
is a cascade of additional forgivenesses that are included. So she says, the day I forgave the Nazis, privately I forgave my parents, who I hated all my life for not having been able to save me from Auschwitz. Children expect their parents to protect them, and mine couldn't. And then I forgave myself for hating my parents. Desmond Tutu um, writes about his journey to forgive his alcoholic and abusive father who had passed away by the time he was really processing this. And he also kind of hints at these multiple forgivenesses that happen when we start the process of forgiveness. He says, when I reflect back across the years to my father's drunken tirades, I realize now that it was not just with him that I was angry. I was angry with myself, that small boy trembling in fear. I had not been able to stand up to my father or to protect my mother. So many years later, I realized that I not only have to forgive my father, I have to forgive myself. When I no longer hold his offenses against me and can also forgive myself, those memories of him no longer exert any control over my moods or my disposition. His violence and my inability to protect my mother no longer define me. I am not the small boy cowering in fear of his drunken rage. I have a new and different story. Forgiveness has liberated both of us. We are free. So I think that whole kind of push to forgiveness is, is actually about freedom. It's not because it's good, it's the nice thing to do, or it's the good thing to do, it's our obligation. It's to be free. We talked about this Torah study about being free. What is weighing down on us so often? It's that, you know, the old saying, we, we are drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And that's what we're doing over and over again, nursing the resentment and the grudges and the anger. So the last thing I want to say, I think the last thing, why all the tests? Why then, if, if my theory is correct and um, Joseph didn't need his brother's uh, apology, why does he go through that whole thing, uh, ask, seeing whether or not they changed? And what, you know, what came to me, one possible idea, and you may have others, is that I actually think it was out of love. It was, out of, it was because he wanted to give them the opportunity to make tshuva. Because it's painful to be um, an abuser, to be a perpetrator of harm. I know it's been um, painful for me when I've hurt people. And then when it happens to you, you're like, ah, that person doesn't even know. They're not sad. They're not painful. They're not, they're not walking around with any of it. But if given more time, when you look back, usually you can see the pain they're walking around with. And when I think Joseph had enough love in him, he had enough, he had processed enough of the pain that he maybe could give the brothers this opportunity to make tshuva. It's almost like giving somebody the ability to make amends is a gift you can give to them. Forgiveness is the gift you give to yourself. It's 
my my thought is the as the difference. Finally, um, I don't. I want to be clear that I do not think forgiveness means reconciliation all the time. In Joseph's case, maybe it did, but I don't think that that um, that those two things equal each other. Um, James also often says, and I love this line, you, sh- you can let everyone into your heart, don't let everyone into your house. <laughs> Not a good idea. So sometimes we have to draw boundaries, and Maya Angelou has said this as well. Maya Angelou's had you know, a litany of horrible things happen to her and speaks all the time about forgiveness. And she says, I forgive people so they don't continue to have power over me. That does not mean that when a fire burns me, I put my hand back in the fire. That's just being stupid. <laughs> so there's, there's something about drawing boundaries when those boundaries need to be drawn, but we don't um, need to cut them out of our heart entirely. So finally, the practice. How does this relate to the practice? It's hard to teach ourselves how to forgive. You know, we can kind of keep the intention to keep returning. But the practice, every single moment, gives us the opportunity to forgive. With each breath, perhaps you can keep Maimonides' sort of words in our head. Be easy to forgiveness. Be really easy to it. Almost like pacing outside the door of that person that hurt you. So we're just waiting for the opportunity to say, it's okay, that happened, that happened, I'm here now, that happened, I'm here now, I forgive it, I forgive, I forgive, I'm here now with what's happened. And that can be practiced over and over and over again, and I think is our practice of meditation. Giving up struggling with things being another way, this is how they are, and this is what we're going to be with. And if we're not, you know, if, if we have a major place in our life where we're really just not in a place to forgive, we can be with that too. We can just be with the pain that's at the root of that resistance to forgiveness. That's the whole point. Just be there with that pain. You've been listening to the Or Halev podcast with Rabbi James Jacobson Mazels. For more information about Or Halev and how to stay up to date with our podcasts, visit the website at orhalev.org.